You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of the Yarra Bicycle Users Group radio show for Monday the 11th of May 2020. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Thank you to Democracy Now! for the previous hour of current affairs. And my name's Chris. And morning, it's Steve. Okay, so we're going to have a quick chat about some stuff that's been happening. Obviously, we're back in the... Um, the whirring um, heart of uh, Yarrabug Radio at the moment, which is our front row. Uh, we've had two passings in the last uh, fortnight or so. First, I want to talk about uh, John Forrester. Steve. Yes, John Forrester, so-called. Is it the inventor, godfather, promoter of vit- vehicular cycling? Accredited with the... Um, um, promotion of vehicular cycling, ride like a vehicle. Cyclists would be safer um, or better served riding as if they're a vehicle, taking up their space on the road, sort of sums it up. He was a, a big proponent of not having um, separated or uh, dedicated bicycle infrastructure, to put it bluntly, because he was a very blunt individual, wasn't he, Steve? Yeah, as he proved to, proved to be. It was disappointing that he seemed to be more a proponent of not having separated infrastructure rather than uh, just promoting his ride-like-a-vehicle idea and promoting it to those who choose to ride like a vehicle while still acknowledging there's a lot of people who probably don't want to do that. Well, the issue being is that his ideas took hold in the 1970s when we had, you know, fuel and oil problems in the early 70s. And unfortunately, well, for his his ideas, we've outgrown them because we're now dealing with an age where people are pretty sedentary, we're pretty risk adverse, and vehicular cycling is not that popular. Unfortunately, I'll say too, from a personal perspective of being kind of around the advocacy space for a couple of decades, or probably too long, Forrester's attitude basically permeated a lot of cycling advocates, being rather pugnacious and a little too rude. I mean, I don't mind the thing of speaking truth to power, but there was a certain rudeness to uh, Forrester that um, I'm not going to miss. Yeah, there's probably a better way of getting your argument across than being pugnacious, but... um... I think the argument that, you know, all roads are a good cycling road is not 100% true, but equally, you know, to coax people out onto the the streets that work perfectly well as a way of transporting yourself around, you know, that's to be commended. But let's, let's have a think about those spaces that encourage the people that aren't as enthusiastic or brave, hairy-chested, you know, confident, you know, searching for the right ad- adjective. The, the people that need to be to be coaxed out into a what they perceive as a safe space, whether they're safe on minor roads isn't the issue. It's the perception of where they feel safe. I think to add to that is that uh, society changes. We have a very 
dominant aggressive car culture. And I don't think ridiculous cycling, you know, really, you know, I, think, I think it's a bit of an evolutionary thing in the cycling that we've moved beyond. Yeah, yeah, it, it, has, it has its part in the history, but I don't think it's something that we should be uh, pushing further because if we're going to get more people riding it, and on this, today's show, I'm going to be talking to Megan Sharkey about uh, follow-up on the Space for Health campaign, uh, things change. Uh, we all can't be aggressive and dominant on the roads and it's more of a um, sharing the road or sharing the space because, well, at the moment we, we're dealing with things that I regard as not fit for purpose. But do we bring in behaviours from driving into cycling? No, I don't think that's a good idea. There's enough aggression. We should uh, learn to, you know, what's the, what's the model with uh, human development? Is it aggression or is it being altruistic? I would prefer to go with the latter. Or cooperation. We yeah. were the cooperative species. Yeah. But... Okay, so on to the next bit, the, 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 the next passing. Yes, it was said to hear... Uh, One of Kraftwerk's, the band Kraftwerk's founders, uh, Florian Schneider, is it Schneider? Yeah, Schneider, Uh, as in the same, yeah. Yeah, um, past, who was um, not only um, instrumental instrumentalist, but a a, um, very keen cycling fan. Many people would know that uh, Kraftwerk put out an album and a song called Tour de France in 1983, and it's been subject to many iterations. Two of the uh, members of uh, Kraftwerk were addicted to cycling and it uh, decreased their productivity. Also, you know that uh, Canon and Kraftwerk uh, collaborated on a bicycle back, uh, what, three years ago? Very nice looking bike. Can't afford it. What else with Kraftwerk? Uh, it's really interesting to read where they came through with Tour de France. I was reading a bit about like the, the kind of the ultimate man machine thing. You're thinking after the initial breakthroughs thing of uh, Autobahn, you think they would have gone more futuristic, but no, they headed towards the bicycle in the 1980s. I could understand someone bringing one of their other passions to uh, their their music and their work doing their Tour de France um, song mm. and their uh, and their album. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Basically, the members of Kraftwerk were more or starstruck when they met uh, members or, you know, riders from the Tour de France than they ever were with any other pop stars. So that's lovely. But sad he's gone. But I've, I've read some interesting quotes that, OK, this is a bicycle show, but Kraftwerk were more influential than the Beatles. You know why? Because a lot of that stuff, a lot of their... Um, innovative stuff went into house and dub and rap just splintered off into electronica in the 1980s 90s and today so yeah I remember hearing you know Tour de France 1983 think god what a weird sounding song and then I heard the remix of they did of it in 2002 it's kind of dub trance and it just any medium they touched worked and also if they couldn't find an instrument when they were starting off they built it so, yeah, if you're into EDM and a whole bunch of stuff, charge a glass to... To Florian Schneider. Okay, up next, I'm going to be talking to Megan Sharkey about space for health and some uh, movement and uh, news that it's happening from councils and state governments.
3CR remains closed to all broadcasters and guests until further notice. The good news is that so many of our programs are producing new shows each week from home. From Lost in Science to Living Free. Done by Law to Defence of Government Schools. Concrete Gang to Chronically Chilled. Mafalda to Music Matters. We're here with compelling content and rousing radio. Listen live or listen later. Tune in, stay safe and keep listening. 3CR Community Radio, here to stay. I'm an activist in the urban planning space and a current PhD student studying urban studies. Um, but I'm also a mother of two small young children, six and eight, um, which is why Space for Health got started. Um, the campaign Space for Health has been advocating for more walking and cycling space, especially during COVID. Um, it's very difficult, as you are all aware, for us to physically distance on the pavement. Um, many businesses have been closed down. Um, and if we're going to reopen, then the cafes and others are going to need additional space that has currently been for cars. Over the last two weeks, we've been campaigning across Australia, um, and we've had some really great movements. This morning, the New South Wales government um, has released $15 million dollars to enable COVID streets, which is fantastic news. Now, this is in contrast to what Melbourne City Council did last night, which was to pass a motion um, to enable physical distance and public space opportunities. And I think what's really interesting about the way these two are released and what they say about our transport planning system. So your your council put a motion forward that specifically states that the officers bring a report to the June cycles outlining identified location in yards, public spaces where physical distancing will be hard to achieve once those restrictions are lifted, which means that where are pavement, places outside of businesses, um, public recreation, where can people not appropriately do the 1.5 meters? They've also will have the report on measures which can be taken to increase opportunities for physical distancing and other opportunities to simultaneously achieve council objectives for pedestrianization and any projects for funding. The city of Melbourne is going to be closing down car park and doing 12 kilometers of temporary cycling infrastructure. Now what's notable about that is that A, the car parks are in their control doesn't require state government. And the 12 kilometers was actually already budgeted in their next budget and designed for. So these are the only things that they can do without state government support. Now, we recognize this is a barrier in many states, particularly in Victoria and New South Wales, um, that the state transit authorities have a lot of say over how councils can get this done. And it's one of the constraints that the city of Melbourne and other areas are facing. Now put this in contrast today to the release of the $15 million funding for New South Wales, which is basically enabling councils um, to widen walkways, close roads, create new cycle paths under a new state government scheme designed to accommodate greater use of public outdoor space. 
this is en- enabling those councils to get approval for stuff that they otherwise couldn't do without a lot of consultation. It's effectively giving them the powers and giving them the backing to get this done. And this is really what needs to happen um, in Victoria and other places is to give the councils the power um, and to enable them to actually make these changes as well as the framework for what's acceptable. And I think New Zealand has been in, has just released theirs and this has been an excellent example for us to follow on the coordination between local, state and federal government on how we can create COVID streets. Goongaroo Environment Centre is a grassroots community organisation campaigning for East Gippsland's precious forests. For over 15 years, we've been using direct action, citizen science and community engagement to stop the continued logging of precious native forests and threatened species habitat. After this summer's terrible bushfires, there's an even greater urgency to protect what remains. And the Victorian government haven't ruled out plans to log the small fragments of unburnt forests and so-called salvage log in burnt areas. It's now so important that forests and wildlife are protected so they can recover. Head to gecko.org.au to keep updated with the latest news and to get involved. Gecko acknowledges the logging is happening on the stolen lands of the Gunnakurnai and Bidwell and the Nara people and that sovereignty was never ceded. It's interesting the one with the city of Yarra, which is the local one here. This was just passed what was um, a motion of business put up and we've got the information from actually from their video uh, of the uh, meeting so yeah um, the things are happening because on the last show when I spoke to Dr Ben Beck this was outlying base for health initiatives and what could happen and now like you said within two weeks we have things happening across Australia. Exactly and I would like to point out that actually in that not only in the media release for the city of Melbourne, but also in the Yara motion um, and in the video, our campaign was actually noted and that contacting them and the organization saying, we want this has actually made a difference. And that's why we need to continue that and amplify that because there's a lot of other people who, you know, haven't previously been cycle riders or haven't previously um, gotten to really walk or enjoy the pedestrianized space. And they, from being home and isolated, they've really seen the benefits. So this wider coalition is actually creating the changes we want. It's not just about, you know, bug groups. It's, it's also no. about walking groups, accessibility groups, business groups. And that's why, you know, the space for health is starting to resonate, I think. And the um, conversations that, that your groups and others have had are really making a difference. And, you know, it's only been two weeks. So we released the letter on the 23rd of April, and we're already getting traction. That's 15 days. So imagine what we can do in another 15 days. And for me, that's really positive to grasp onto that we can keep moving forward with that. Yes, because this is something I brought up with uh, the previous interview with um, Dr. Beck, was due to, you know, economic and just straight, straight up people losing their jobs or things contracting, we're going to see the rise of... Uh, to use the term transport poverty and we need to use our streets whatever infrastructure we've got and what people can do in a more nuanced or I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it 
pulling at words yeah. here. Well, on your point about yeah. transport poverty, yeah. there there is a huge issue. When we think about what, how much the average vehicle costs um, in Australia, you know, at minimum, we're looking at $150 a week, you know, thousands of pounds of years. Mm. Um, and if that money is spent in local shops, for example, um, you know, that's a really big boost to the local economy. Not only does that save me money and my transport costs, but it also allows me to decide where that dollar goes. It means that I can get to work knowing I have reliable transport and cheap transport. Mm. It means that that extra money can go towards my kids, um, towards my housing costs, you know, towards the things that I really need um, and that I want. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, that's something that's not to be underestimated is that many people aren't going to be able to afford cars. And the ones who are buying them, it might put them further into debt, which will have knock-on implications. Um, exactly. and, and how we address that will be really key across the board. Yeah, because uh, something that uh, was coming up was, uh, I think, in the UK, the new car sales have you know, dropped by some figure of 97%. I'll take there's a question on notice. Obviously, because you know, things are contracting. But to, getting back to the thing of bicycles, and this is a point I want to make, that um, riding in Australia, you know, riding for transport or getting around, has been perceived as a bit of an inner-city, middle-class, well-heeled thing, which um, previous historical uh, perspective, it clearly isn't. But what uh, COVID-19 invariably could do is broaden it out where the, you know, if you want to ride your bike, it's not just an inner suburbs thing, it's outer suburbs, it's everywhere. And, and I agree. Yeah, and there. this is where political advisors and the people who make the decisions or the gatekeepers within uh, government uh, departments have got to get over some of their bias. And it is, there is inherent bias, and I'm trying to be polite about it, where cycling is not seen as a uh, privileged or an elite activity. It's a, it's a transport of the people. group in London called Wheels for Wellbeing, and they promote the accessibility of cycling. Um, how can wheelchair users use adaptable hand cycles or different people with disabilities, because often cycling can be easier for them than walking. Yes. So I also think there is really large accessibility implications of this. The accessibility for a wide range of users to have the freedom of mobility um, and to enable to enable those groups as well, mm. um, everything from curb lifts to wider pavement to the fact that for some, cycling is really energy efficient. Yes. Um, and now, I mean, t- they think of bikes as only two wheels. But in reality, we have electric bikes, we have cargo bikes, we have hand cycles, we have all of these adaptable cycles that create a that have a range of users and a range of abilities. Um, and that's, I think, what Space for Health is really about, is actually these are the people who would benefit the most from um, not only for freedoms, but enable them to get to work easier, to get to school easier. I, for one, am really worried about the information coming out around the some of the cities and the increase in car traffic. And there's all those implications around people who have asthma and, and what air pollution 
effects are. So I really think, you know, that is something we have to overcome this bias that it's for one user, mm. because in reality, it's not that if, if we think about it this way, it's really opening the door for multiple users. And that's not even taking into um, first and last mile transport, business opportunities, cargo opportunities, as well as, like you said, in the some of the regional and rural areas. Well, electric electric cycles now, you know, 25 kilometers is nothing. Mm. You know, that's an easy trip if they have the space. And you see this across Europe that people will regularly travel 20 to 50 kilometers in a day without breaking a sweat. And, and you know, anyone, and I have done this, who has waited for the bus and missed that one bus that comes at one hour by five minutes and then realized, you know, how much it's ruined your whole day, can attest that if they had other opportunities, um, safe opportunities, segregated opportunities, they would take them. Um, because in many areas, public transport isn't reliable. And this is an opportunity to actually fill some of that middle space. And we have the road space. You know, our roads are wide enough. And so it's, it's not a matter of, of building more. It's a matter of prioritizing what we do have. Exactly. And, uh, of course, also with um, not just the inner suburbs, it's middle and outer, um, PT sometimes isn't joined up. Uh, but uh, getting on to the economic effects... Uh, you probably read, and I, I know firsthand that uh, bike shops, are, uh, some some of them are putting on sales staff, some are putting on more mechanics. There's obviously, uh, you know, movement. People are buying bikes. People are lining up outside bike shops on weekends here in in Melbourne to buy. The num the numbers coming out, and and what's really great about that is, it's not just that they're going there. It's what they're buying. You're seeing people break them out of sheds. Yep. You know, the, the bike sales that we had a year ago aren't the sales that we're having now. We're really having that sort of every kind of bike for every kind of person. And and that's really exciting for yeah. me because it's creating all these whole new people who haven't done it before. We haven't serviced them. And I think after this, if any politician says people don't want to ride bikes, I mean, you can just go, well, what did we do for two two months during lockdown? Like, yeah. people want to do this. Well, so that argument is going to be very hard to make going forward, especially when the evidence is, you know, overwhelmingly in the other direction. And exactly. I have to say, um, you know, one of the things that I loved about when I became an Australian citizen, you know, everyone here loves being outside. It's something that as a culture is really valued. And I think that this, you know, to me, the active travel part just – just fits in with that about this idea of freedom and enjoying the outdoors and the potential new industries that can come off the back of this you know imagine if if that becomes the manufacturing or the jobs and could be fantastic and i think about the wakanda vision of transport so for those who don't know it's from the black panther movie where at the bottom it's all about people and connectivity and, and that social space and then it's strategically anchored into wider public transport. And then the the private vehicle is the minority because it's the right tool for the right job. Hmm. Um, and really, that's what we're talking about here. It's the right tool for the right job. So moving forward, we've got... City of Melbourne, okay, there's existing funding, but at least they seem to be moving on uh, people's need for public space and the like for, during the COVID-19 um, epidemic. We've got um, the New South Wales government 
was it uh, 15 or 12 million dollars it was 15 million um, under a new 15 million fund New South Wales Council can apply for grants of up to a hundred thousand for immediate pilot projects and up to one million for longer term projects like extra crossing points trialing lower speeds and what I like about this is that it covers every council so rural councils you have high streets or dangerous crossings or you know, focus around schools and your hospitals. And really, I think this fund is, is good about that because it can cover lots of different councils and say, okay, what is your need to enable social and physical distances? And I think that's a really positive about the fund. We're going to think about Australia-wide now. You have some points about how people can uh, pick up this campaign and, you know, get onto either state government or the local council or shire. If you visit www.spaceforhealth.org, so spell out for F-O-R, there are a number of ways to get involved. If you are a business or an organization, you can sign our open letter. And really, that's growing by the day with the amount of organizations and a really powerful tool to lobby for political change. The second element of that is what you can do as an individual, so you can sign a petition. Um, we also have a number of resources up there that are you can use that are freely available. And so that's where the starting point would be. If you visit there, there should be something for you. And if so people are listening to the show and they don't have internet access, I would suggest contacting their local council or a local member. Calling your local member and your local mayor mm. is imperative. So if yes. you don't have access to the internet, I would just get on, call your local council member and say, I want space for health. I want space to physically distance. You know, what are you doing about this? How can I support? And if they have some ideas, suggest them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Local knowledge uh, every, is I think there. everyone knows their street. I always say that sometimes the baker on the corner is the best urban planner because they see all day what's happening. They see, you know, the busyness of the road or they hear the cor- the, the car honking. So, you know, don't underestimate the value of experiences on your street because yep. they're really valuable and they help us tell the story of what's happening. So, yes, you know, share your experience because it matters. And if you're on, the, on Twitter, uh, have a look for the Space for Cycling hashtag. But uh, on uh, Twitter, it's spelled um, F-O-R. Yes, so it's hashtag Space for Health. Um, and there's also an Instagram account where we've been sharing all the interventions that are happening across the world so you can get some ideas about what can be done in your area. Okay, Megan, it's been a joy to catch up with you. We've done two shows on this th- thus far and I've mentioned it on three previously. Yeah, you know, we need things to happen in Australia. Now there's a campaign. Thank you very much, Chris. Isolated? Quarantined? Need some essentials but can't leave the house? Or just having a hard time dealing with everything at the moment? Queer Aid NAM is a new mutual aid group of organised volunteers. We're here, we're queer and we've got your back. Whether or not that's how you identify, nobody should be suffering because capitalism or the state didn't provide what they needed. That's why we're working to strengthen our communities through solidarity. Put in a request for help and we'll match you with a volunteer in your area who can either pick up groceries or other essentials for you 
help you run errands, cook meals for you, or check in with how you're going. If you or someone you know is having a hard time, or if you want to join the volunteer list, find us on queeraidmelbourne.org or search for us via Facebook, COVID-19 Queer Aid Nam Melbourne. So tell your family and your friends, and don't forget your neighbours. That's QueerAidMelbourne.org, a 3CR supporter. This week's Yarra Bicycle User Group radio program should be podcast soon on 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast or go to yarrabug.org forward slash radio if you want to find additional details of what we discussed today. These podcasts are produced at Melbourne's activist radio station 3CR. Presenters are all volunteers and 3CR's existence depends upon the financial support of our listeners. Go to 3cr.org.au Click on the support tab and select either donate, subscribe, shop or fundraisers. Your subscription or donation keeps 3CR on air. On my bicycle, on my bicycle, yeah. Get on that bicycle and ride Neat the sunny skies over along the ocean side 3CR would like to thank our Yarrabug program sponsor, Vacro Second Chance Cycles, for their financial support. Second Chance Cycles is a fantastic community workshop that recycles bikes, trains people in bike mechanics and sells bikes to the local community. To find out more, Google Vacro or drop in to the underground car park, Harmsworth Street, Collingwood, any Thursday or Friday. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.